Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Dan and I'm joined by... I'm Lawrence, welcome to the podcast. A very energetic start to the podcast. Um, very for a change. Well, that's right. I've just eaten some lamb samosas, as you well know, so I'm feeling very energetic indeed. Well, that's what one needs. That is a, a lamb of... samosa. That's right. Yeah. With some garlic mayo. They're very nice. Very nice. Very nice. How are you doing, despite samosas? Well, samosas have added to my mood, but yeah, mostly I'm quite well. Just working lots, as per usual, is the usual thing that we say. But I haven't said that I'm very busy, so that's uh, that makes a change. But yes, quite well. How are you? Yes, I am okay. Um, we've very recently had our um, purchase of a house go through. So we have the keys and we now have the rigmarole of moving to the new house to do. So that's going to be um, a joyous probably couple of months. You also need but... to arrange me popping by to put the towels down the toilet. You, I told you you're banned. We don't have toilets in my house. Well, if I find out you do have toilets and you haven't let me come over to put towels down, then I'm going to be very disappointed. No, we don't have toilets. Okay, well, I'll take your word for it. (laughs) Right, so today we are talking about number 46 on the Metacritic Top 100 list. A big title today. Um, Metal Gear Solid 5, or as I know that you're very fond of calling it, Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain. It has a score of 95 and... Funnily enough, the uh, the version on the list is the Xbox One version, which places places at the highest point on the list. Um, and as people may know, it was released in the year 2015. Um, okay, so Metal Gear Solid V, your favourite name. <laughs> Best name. Great name. Yeah. History with this game, um, please. My, I've got quite extensive history with this game. The the Phantom Pain, like you said, came out in 2015. But before that, Kojima released MGS5 Ground Zeroes, which acts as a bit of a precursor to the events in the Phantom Pain. And there was a bit of a, a bit of a kickoff and backlash with it because it was £40 for what was effectively about an hour or two hour demo. And a lot of people had had issue with that. And I think it's very difficult to talk about the Phantom Pain without also talking about Ground Zeroes because they are as one, really. But I... Originally, Ground Zeroes was part of the package of MGS5. Yeah. And... It spits out. Well, yeah, it's two parts, isn't it? And I played both, both Ground Zeroes and the Phantom Pain when they were released. I remember getting the Phantom Pain... Um, in the post the day that it came out and playing quite a lot of it I've completed it probably two or three times as is the case with all of the MGS games on the list and yeah but my my history with this game is quite extensive I played it a lot I've unlocked quite a lot of stuff on there and yeah I've I've put a lot of hours into both Ground Zeroes and the Phantom Pain what about you? My introduction to this game, I don't know if you remember this, was visiting you in London whilst we were both at drama school and um, you had you had Ground Zeroes and 
I played it for the first time there and then. And I don't remember that. I have yeah, slept since I, then though. Yeah, so that was that was my first time playing um Ground Zeroes and Yeah, it was alright. <laughs> That's what I thought at the time. It was okay. And then um and then obviously Phantom Pain came out. I got my PS4 a few years later than other people because I was monetarily deprived for a little bit while I was at drama school. So um I got my PS4, then went back and got MGS five. Um started playing, thought, this is really good. I wonder why this game is so divisive. And then got a bit further. Um got a new TV because I thought, oh, I want to play MGS five on a new TV because I've had my TV for a while. So I bought a new TV and then completely fell off because I found the objectives objectives to be very repetitive and um it didn't really live up to those opening couple of hours. So that's that's my history. Um obviously for this playthrough I replayed Ground Zeroes and I've completed for the first time MGS five. Um so yeah, you'll be getting my thoughts on the complete package today. Uh yeah, so that that, that about covers history and introduction, I think. Um Okay, you've got the enviable task of um giving us a bit of a rundown of the plot of this game. Yeah, so it, it's simple but at the same time it's really not. So anyone that hasn't played it or wants to play it, there will be we'll be discussing spoilers here. But Ground Zeroes takes place pretty much straight after the events of Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker, which came out on the um is it the PSP or the PS Vita? Came out on the PSP and then was re-released on the 316 PS3. Yeah, and the HD collection. So Peace Walker takes place in 1974 or 1975. So about 10 years after the events of MGS3. So you're playing, again, as Big Boss, or as he prefers to be known now, Naked Snake. And Peace Walker is i mean you'd be better at explaining peace walker because i never completed it i didn't really get on with it that well um but it's effectively the story of big boss building up his private army which is the um the the precursor to what became out of heaven and getting hold of his own metal gear and at the end of the game a um a young girl called paz who is part of the uh the the, the group i suppose is told by Cypher, who is Major Zero from MGS3, to steal Metal Gear Zeke, which is the Metal Gear that they have on site. And she basically gets ejected into the sea, and they then pick up intel about, I don't know, nine, ten months later, that she's being kept at a uh, a Guantanamo Bay-esque facility, um, which is where Ground Zero starts, and it's, it's Snake's job, or Big Boss's job, to go and rescue Paz and um, another person from their group, a, a boy called Chico, and basically get them back. Whilst he's doing that, there is um, to be an inspection at Mother Base from, I think it's supposed to be the UN. However, upon getting Paz and Chico, they are betrayed, I suppose, and ambushed. Mother Base is destroyed by the group that was stepping in to pretend to be the UN called XOF, which is 
fox backwards. And yeah, Paz yeah. Paz Paz um Paz has a um Paz has two bombs inside her that have been that have been put in and one of them blows up in the helicopter which has got um Master Miller, Snake in and, and a medic. And yeah, the, the the game of Ground Zeroes ends with what looks like a well, it's a shortcut scene basically of some medics trying to bring Snake back to life um, in a hospital somewhere, uh, and he he goes into a coma, and that's where Ground Zeroes ends, and the Phantom Pain picks up nine years later in 1984 with Snake coming to, and basically he has a job to regrow his mother base. They call the the group Diamond Dogs. And the game is effectively you getting revenge on the people that betrayed you nine years ago. XOF being, um, well, being headed up by a villain called Skullface um, and his Metal Gear-esque kind of machine called Sahelanthropus. And throughout your journey, you find a young Liquid Snake, young Psycho Mantis. Colonel Volgin from MGS3 kind of makes a return as the man on fire. And as you go through the game you begin to realise that there's something quite off about the person that you're playing as. And at the end of the game, it's revealed that you haven't been playing as Big Boss for the entire game. You've been playing as the medic from the helicopter that blew up uh, nine years previously. And he's had his face grafted to look like Big Boss and had his memories changed so he thinks he's Big Boss. Whilst the real Big Boss is off elsewhere around the world, creating Outer Heaven. And the... MGS5 brings the entire series full circle with the intro of Metal Gear 1, which came out on the MSX in the 80s. Um, basically, Solid Snake's commander is, is Big Boss, but it turns out that it's uh, Venom Snake, which is the snake that you play as in Phantom Pain. Is I mean, it's Metal Gear, so it's complicated, as it always is. But that's a, a brief, and confusing, rundown. and full of retcons. And mm-hmm. I noticed as well in your retelling of it that Ground Zeroes was the bulk of the conversation, whereas MGS Five, not much story going on there. And there's a reason for that. Yeah, the, the, the thing, the thing with Phantom Pain is it it does have story, but it's the the story low point of the Metal Gear series. I'd say there are a lot of elements that are explained to you but they're not through the standard normal fmvs or, or cutscenes. it's all through optional tapes that you you can choose to not listen to and, and in doing so you you miss out on a huge portion of story in this game whereas ground zero has really sets up everything else for this game the, the thing with mgs5 um is that i'd say it's po- arguably that the gameplay pinnacle of the series but it's the story low point it's i've got very complicated feelings on this game and yeah which we'll get into how do you feel about the um cassettes um neither here nor there really like the thing is i think the idea is when you're you know exploring the map in this game you've got two main areas that you'll well three main areas that you'll spend time in you've got afghanistan You've got Zaire in South Africa, and then you've got Mother Base. And I think the idea is that you listen to the cassettes on your Walkman whilst you're out in the field. But for me, being out in the field, I was more concentrating on what I was doing. And 
rather than listening to precisely you know, ten minute exposition tapes from Zero or from Ocelot or from you know Miller. So when you listened to those tapes, what were you primarily doing? Probably just sat in a helicopter, and <laughs> it's it's just dead time. You're just listening to a to a tape, and I know that the MGS series, particularly with MGS four being criticised most heavily for it, has always been very heavy on cutscenes and dialogue. But it seems like instead of kind of trying to get the happy medium here, Kojima was just like, okay, people keep complaining about that, so I'm just going to remove it entirely. And I think because of that... And how much of that do you think is by design? And how much of that was due to the, the constraints that this game was made under? I think a lot of it was by design, to be honest. There, there, there was, famously, Kojima and Konami cut ties at the end of, of the MGS project. And then Kojima went on to, to open his own studio, Kojima Productions, and release Death Stranding, etc. And there's a lot of conversation of whether or not MGS5 is finished or not, because there are clips that are about 95% complete of Chapter 3, which has got a bit of a Lord of the Flies vibe about it with Liquid Snake stealing the, the Metal Gear Sahelanthropus. But... I, I don't know, it's such a strange game to talk about and it's so weird. Yeah. I don't really know where to start and I was thinking about this before we started recording, like whether or not we, we you know, put it in the top 100 and I don't think I'm going to be able to answer that until we get to the end. I think this is more an exploration, well, I've got a very, this conversation, you know? I've got a very detailed plan because I've been, I've been similarly, um, again, a peek behind the curtain. So when we put together the episodes, we write some notes about kind of what's going to go into the episode. And there there tend to be episodes that um, you want to kind of explore the game a bit more. So you add more to the notes. Um, and generally speaking, the Metal Gear games have been some of those games that have had those uh, deeper dive episodes, I'd say. And for the past, since I completed MGS5, I've been kind of about two weeks ago now um and i've been grappling with how to put together this list and we have a list and it's going to co cover some areas and it probably won't cover other areas um because i think we'd be here for hours but it was also kind of really trying to get into what MGS5 is, the design of MGS5, what was going on at Konami and with Kojima and also thinking of a suitable question of the week, which I think we've got. Um, so yeah, hopefully hopefully it's a good episode, but yeah, you're, you're right, it's not an easy game to come to terms with and there are countless videos on this game, there are countless articles on this game. Um, looking back at it, after it was released and trying to assess what it was, whether the praise it got was justified, um, the fallout between Konami and Kojima. There's, there's just books worth of content here. Um, and there's some really good stuff out there. So if you are remotely interested in this game, I would recommend going away and having a look at some of that stuff because we couldn't possibly do it complete justice here. And it will be tempered by our own opinions on the game so um 
Well, I, I know one of one of the big sticking points for you, which you've probably got noted down at some point, I imagine. I've not seen your notes, but I'm guessing you, you want to discuss the, the David Hayter situation as well. Um, I haven't. I haven't really, just because we'll touch on it under one category. Mm. Um, but it wasn't... It it wasn't. It's a big thing for me personally, but it's not. I don't think. I mean, I I think I think it is a big part of the conversation actually. But it's been done to death, hasn't it? This that MGS fans weren't happy that that David Hayter left the role. Um, so this is the first game that he didn't voice Snake on, and it's a very strange game because Snake goes from really speaking quite a lot in the other games to not speaking at all um so it's a bit jarring um it's a it's a strange game but i think david hater missing from the game just adds to this i don't know this this kind of lack of identity that i think many people feel about this game um so yeah we're, we're gonna so I want to talk about the characters as well. So are there any any characters that stand out to you as being um, favourites? Any characters that you feel are not done justice in this game? I think there's a lot of characters that aren't really done justice in this game. Um, Snake being the main one. And you, you, you go from... In all of the previous Metal Gear games where Big Boss is, isn't it? He, he's this guy that... And Super Bunny Hop talks about it a lot. He's this guy that comes up with these one-liners and these quips, and he's very charming and he's very likable compared to Solid Snake in MGS One and Two, who's a lot more gruff and a lot more, um, I don't know, not a man's man, but I don't know. Solid Snake's a lot more blunt than than Big Boss is, and in this game, Big Boss just doesn't have any character. And when I say Big Boss, I'm referring to the snake that you play as in this game, Venom Snake. Because that's who he's portrayed as, his big boss. And that's who you believe yeah. to be so, big boss for the majority of the game. Obviously, there's a reason why his character is so changed, because it isn't really him. But you also have the argument that this person is supposed to think that they are big boss. But you even see it. So at the start of the game, in the, in the prologue, which is probably the best part of the game, it kind of drops off after that, like you said earlier. Um You've got the actual big boss who is looking out for the body double, you, who is called Ishmael, because there's quite a lot of references to, to Moby Dick in this game. And, you know, when he throws the um, the assassin, who turns out to be one of the characters, quiet out the window, the body double says, well, what happened? Where did she go? And big boss just comes up with a quip. He's like, oh, she um, she, she didn't want to take the stairs or something after throwing her out the window. And that's the big boss that you, you kind of know and who you, you come to, to recognise. Yeah, whereas the, the the Venom Snake, the big boss that you play as, doesn't really have that. And he's mostly a, a silent protagonist for the most part. Um, but someone else who I think doesn't really get much scope is Skullface, who is... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's really lauded as the main villain of this game. And, you know, the, the series has some really good main villains. You know, MGS1, you've got Liquid Snake. and MGS2, you've got Solidus Snake. MGS3, you've got Volgin. MGS4, you've got Ocelot slash 
liquid kind of. And then in this game, Skullface, he's just kind of there as an antagonist and he's got a weird face which never really gets explained too much unless you go digging. And yeah. he dies at the end of Act 1. There are two, two acts in this game, and he just dies at the end of Act 1, and it's not even Snake that kills him, it's Huey, uh, Huey Emmerich. Yeah, it's halfway through the game, the main villain um, dies. Yeah, and I don't know. It, it's, it's one of the reasons that this game feels very off. And then you've got characters like Quiet, the sniper, who in this game you you have um you've got four buddies that you can bring along with you on the missions you've got D-Dog who is just a dog he's he's quite a good companion you've got a horse you've got a walker gear kind of thing and then you've got Quiet who I think arguably is the best companion she's the most useful but she is there really as sex appeal she is just this sniper that wears literally next to nothing and the, the conversation around Sniper alone is is it's just it's an essay unto itself. Yeah. Um, the, the the reason that she can't wear clothes is because she was so horrifically burnt when she tried to assassinate um, Venom Snake at the start of the game that the only way she can breathe is she's picked up these parasites, which is another subplot of the game, where if you speak a certain language, then you'll die. And she can't speak, otherwise it will kill her. So she has to breathe through her skin. So therefore she has to wear, a, effectively, lingerie, like a bikini or whatever. And it's so weird. Um, and then... Another character, I think, really just kind of went nowhere... And Nerdcube made a good comment about him in his video about this game is Revolver Ocelot. And in this game, I think Kaz and Ocelot are really, like, they could be interchangeable. Their, their voice actors they sound, sound so similar. Same. Yeah, yeah you, you don't really know who you're listening to when they talk. And, and Keith Sutherland as well sounds very similar to them. Yeah. And um, Troy Baker voices us a lot in this game because it was at that period of time where Troy Baker voiced everyone in every game ever. Yeah. And he's a very talented voice actor, but he doesn't suit Ocelot. And the thing that Nerd Cube says about Ocelot is that in every other game, Ocelot's always been a bit of a psychopath. And in this game, he's just... He's a voice of reason. Yeah, he's just like this mellow middle-aged man who's gone from, (laughs) you know, in MGS3 being you know, in his early 20s or whatever, like crying for his unit to join him by meowing like a cat and, you know, having these these one-liners and having a bit of an attitude to just like this middle-aged man who doesn't really have much of a character. He's there to advance the plot in this game. He's there to be the voice that Snake doesn't have. And because of that, he's just a plot device. That's all he is. Yeah. You've got Ocelot as the voice of reason. And then Kaz, who has taken on the role of the psychopath, and it's just all about revenge and all about killing people, and it's just, it's just weird. And you know, granted, I don't know much about Miller because I never played through properly, um, Portable Ops and, and and Peace Walker, but I know that there is a lot more character to Miller than what's portrayed in, in Peace Five. Walker. Yeah, and you know, for anyone that hasn't played, because. Portable Ops and Peace Walker really are just like side games. It doesn't feel like they're in the main series. Well, I think I think that's because of um, I think it was because they released they were released as portable games. But actually, yeah. 
Um, I mean, I, I quite like Portable Ops and Peace Walker. In terms of the story it tells, is 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 certainly no less story than Five has. Um, well, f- f- for anyone and... that hasn't played those games, though, like myself, I hadn't really. T- I'd played a bit of Peace Walker, but if you haven't, then your introduction to Miller is effectively. Oh, I remember him. He was that person that was on the codec on MGS One that yeah, actually for, turned out he was yeah. dead and was being impersonated by Liquid Snake. <laughs> it, it, I don't know. It's just bizarre. And then you could probably apply that to a lot of the stories told within MGS, though, couldn't you? Yeah, of um, course. So for me... I don't know. Go, go on. Um, in terms of the characters, so I wanted... I, I agree with you on everything you've just said about the characters that probably weren't portrayed very well. When I say portrayed, I mean written. Um, so the ones that I wanted to give a mention as to uh, the ones that stood out to me, I was going to say quiet originally, but then I um, I watched one video and basically it, it summarised quiet's arc she's there to get revenge on snake the wrong snake because she really wants revenge on um naked snake but she's going after venom snake which yeah sounds very confusing and it is very confusing um then she falls in love with venom snake um and her arc arc. is yeah 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 i'm in love with snake and i'm gonna protect him and i and I'm unable to use a pen to write down what I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she does have some good moments. Her outro mission is, well, the actual mission is terrible. It's just awful. But the, the cutscene afterwards is cool. Um, so that was quiet. So she kind of dropped off my list. But characters that I think they did well were Huey. Um, I love Huey's... Um, depiction in this game he is the ultimate slime ball so huey in um in peace walker really was just uh ocelot oh no no sorry it really was just um otacon for for anyone that doesn't know the story uh huey emmerich is um otacon's father from mgs1 and 2 yeah so he is a scientist that has uh, facilitated the creation and the use of nuclear weaponry um and that's his role here as well. But you he is the one who arranged for the United Nations to come in and inspect um, Mother Base. So basically the during entire Ground events Zeros. during Ground Zeroes were orchestrated by him. So there is a level of distrust towards him by basically all the staff at Mother Base. And when you first meet him, you the player, you're not quite sure... And then gradually um, the layers are uh, lifted and um, it is revealed that he is an awful person and basically he did orchestrate that. And he uh, also reintroduced the vocal parasites and then he shouts at you during a mission when you're at Mother Base trying to eradicate the parasite by having to kill your own men which is not very nice but he's shouting at you over the thing telling you how awful you are when he was the one who started it and i mean his final cutscene that the brilliance of this character is that he genuinely believes that he's in the right that he's done no wrong and there is an excuse for everything that he did he kills his own wife um 
and he, he fundamentally believes that it's everyone but him and you the player know if you've played Metal Gear Solid 2 that eventually he drowns and he has quite a pitiful end but here you don't see that but you just see this this character unraveling and I think the light the final line from Ocelot is um that basically one day he will meet his comeuppance and then he just sails off his um mechanical legs because he does have a disability um are destroyed in the water and he just gets he just put on a dinghy of, yeah it just kind of fades away um but I, I love I mean again a lot of that is within the cassettes and I I, I enjoyed listening to the how that the Huey Emmerich cassettes and I think he's a very well done character and he's just a, a snake and he's more of a villain than Skullface is in, during the game um there's also a side mission later on where Puzz comes back into it, but she's um, she's not real. She's she's a figment oh, of a mother base. Yeah, she's a figment of Venom Snake's imagination. And once you find out that you you were the medic on the the helicopter that um, was turned into Venom Snake, all that stuff with Puzz makes sense as to why that memory is lingering in his mind. That's really nice. That's really well done. Um, and I also like, again, in some of the cassettes later on, um, that Zero shows up and actually... It's really strange because Zero, I'm, I'm, I'm sure... I'm, I'm sure you're going to echo what I'm saying here. So Zero in MGS3 is this jovial sort of Brit that tells oh, really? jokes. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's completely on Snake's side. And, and, um, and then by the time MGS4 came out he was the big villain of the whole series and there was nothing in between to say how that happened um here you get to see that actually he wasn't a villain in in a sort of black and white way he believed what he was doing was right he still had feelings for snake um he still cared for snake but that exposition is really valuable to his arc it's not enough because that character is too underdone but it's something, so I liked that that was there. But by and large, the cassettes were so dull, so just uh, those are the ones with Code Talker. They were driving me mad. Um, yeah, just going on and on and on and on. Um, yeah, so that they were kind of the standout characters for me: Huey, Paz, and Zero. Um, Okay, we're, we're already quite a bit of time into this video. I, I have a feeling this is probably going to echo some of our older episodes where we go on for quite a while, to be fair. We'll, we'll try and keep it tight, but yeah, so what's changed between... I mean, what's changed between this and two games, MGS4 and Peace Walker? Because actually this game inherits bits of both of them, and the direct prequel is Peace Walker. Um, well, but what's changed between 4 and 5? MGS4 is probably, in my opinion, the most linear of the games in terms of story. Maybe not so much in terms of maps, but I'd say MGS3 is a little bit more open than MGS4 is. And Peace Walker, I, again, I can't really comment on. But this game, as I said, is is the story low point, I think, of the series. And... 
I'll say something that I said in my Red Dead 2, um, when we did Red Dead 2. I preferred playing it the second time around, so I preferred playing MGS5 this time around compared to when I first played it. But I still struggle to understand why, why this is people's favourite game. But where this game shines is its gameplay and how open everything is and how you can just tackle it in any way that you want. You know, you can approach a target from a completely opposite side of the map and you'll have a totally different experience of how, how the game proceeds. But like with MGS4, it, it, um, it incorporates the, the crouch walk, which is utilised a lot here. And I'd say that this game is the best that Snake has controlled. Um, I, I don't know if you'd agree with that, but... The control. Well, I, I have mixed feelings about it, but but we'll, I think we'll elaborate more during the gameplay as king section. Yeah. Um, what what's changed? I suppose more structurally. Well, MGS Four has got the um, the episodes or the acts, hasn't it? And this game continues that, and Peace Walker integrates the whole mother base management, which this game continues as well. But one big thing and a big sticking point for me in this game compared to others is the intros. So <laughs> yeah. every every mission, there are there are fifty is it fifty two? Or fifty? Uh fifty what uh is it fifty or fifty one? Is it the fifty one was the missing mission? Maybe. Or was it I, I can't, I can't remember. remember. It's it's around fifty it's missions. Around that. Yeah. Um and with MGS four, you'd start a new episode or a new act. And it will give you a cutscene, and then that'll be it. You'd be off. With this game, the missions are—they can be quite short. It can be as short as go into this village in Afghanistan, and we want you to get extract the this person. yeah e- extract this highly skilled soldier who is a translator or who is a weapons expert, and then exfiltrate. And at the start of Every single mission in this game, there's an intro cutscene, but not like an intro cut, like an intro credit scene. So it's never a shock when someone turns up. So um, there's a mission say starring yeah. Dead of Snake, featuring yeah. the skulls, there's, featuring. There's a mission Hugh early Limerick. on called Cloak. I think it's called Cloaked in Shadow, which is the mission where Quiet shows up again to take you out and you have a sniper battle, which is you know it's a decent mission, but. Yeah. There's just no surprise. You 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 load into the mission. You choose your your kit that you're going to go in with, and then the intro cutscene starts and the intro credits roll. And like you said, starring Venom Snake, starring D Dog, also starring Quiet the Sniper, or you know later in the game, starring Child Soldiers, or starring the Skull Unit. And the Skull Unit's an entirely starring different PMC Soldier Number Sixty Two. Yeah. And I mean, the, the Skull Unit is a completely different conversation altogether because they're bizarre. But yeah, that that's one of the big changes that I really don't like in this game. And like you say, we'll, we'll come on to the actual gameplay changes and gameplay is king. But there's it, it feels like a Metal Gear game, but at the same time, it feels like it's trying very hard to be an open world Tom Clancy game. And it is open world. That is, to me, that's the huge departure yeah. from any of the other um, MGS games. And I'd actually say it does have more more in common with Peace Walker than it does MGS Four. Um, P- 
Peace Walker is the missing link between um, MGS4 and this, and without Peace Walker, it's very hard to understand how they got to MGS5. Um, Peace Walker has the same menu mission structure. Peace Walker has um, the same management of Mother Base, developing of items. Extracting and, soldiers, Fulton recovery. Yeah, using the Fulton to extract soldiers and enhance Mother Base. It's all there. Researching your All equipment. that stuff. All that stuff is taken um, wholesale from Peace Walker and um, to varying levels of success. But Peace Walker, the difference is you go on your missions, they last a few minutes because it's obviously made for portable play and then you're back out. Whereas here you've got this open world to traverse. Again, we'll discuss the open world later. Um, but yeah, it's... it's the open world really shook things up. Then you've got obviously that the changes in the way that the story is delivered, the the level of story. Then you've got the fact that this game is probably three or four times as long as any other MGS game. Um, but I think that's due so, to its size. Yeah, well, I think it's due to its bloat. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so okay, let's let's move on to gameplay as king. So, is this game fun to play? Yeah, very fun. And I think this was my gripe with it last time. I was more focused on the fact that I was disappointed that there wasn't more story to it. So, it made me not look at the gameplay as much. But like I said, this is the gameplay highlight of the series and possibly one of the most fun stealth games that I've played. Now... There are a lot of elements to that, but you know you can really mess with the guards in any way that you want. You can take on um, like small outlets or huge bases during the day or at night, and you can move time forward and back. You can use your dog to sniff out enemies or to stun them. You can use your horse to travel around faster. And you know that the further into the game you get, you you unlock more research points, so you can research stuff like the stealth suit, which I use quite a lot on this playthrough or the, the infinite ammo bandana. And, you know, there's just so much that you can do in this game that I, I've i never experienced in another game before. There's just so much to it, and so much stuff has been thought of that it's insane, to be honest, that I'm still learning things about this game seven years later. And, yeah, overall, if you if you just want to jump into this game and do a quick mission... You're probably going to have fun with it because you can be as loud or as quiet as you want and scope out the people that you want to extract or not extract. And yeah, I think this game is a very fun game for the right person. But what do you think? I think it's fun. I think it comes with some caveats. Um, so I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> so I, I think the gameplay wears out its welcome. Um, certainly in Act 2, I think it starts to, to wear a bit thin, especially once you're um, completing a mission, visiting that cool location that you thought was really good on the first playthrough, but you've, you're going back there for the third like time the or the fourth time. Yeah, it's, it, that, that starts to wear a little thin by that point the lack of new scenarios, the lack of new mission objectives, and the mission objectives are really slim. They're really um, generic, and you will either be killing someone, extracting someone, 
of maybe blowing up some vehicles. That's 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 about it, really. Um, and 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 they're your objectives for the game, and you might be revisiting, um, as I said, the mansion that you thought was really cool for the first time, but you you end up going there. That that mansion I count three times, um, so it starts to wear thin. Um, things to note about the gameplay. Um, if you coming from MGS4 to this, one of the things that we praised MGS4 for was the fact that the control the control scheme hadn't adopted like the the very homogenized general control scheme. Ah, uh, like using the triggers like to aim and shoot and stuff. Yeah, it was its own thing, and it and it and it required you to learn how to do things and. And, and, and I, I think that having this generalized control scheme has its advantages. It means that most people can pick it up and play it. But I also think games do lose a bit of their identity when they kind of adopt this control scheme, which was um, introduced all the way back in Modern Warfare 1. Um, so here, I feel like the control scheme is more homogenized. It's easier to use. It's more straightforward than MGS4. Um, you want to do your CQC, it's one button press. And everything is very fluid and slick and very easy to do. Incredibly Sometimes, fluid. yeah, sometimes I miss some of those wrinkles. So I'll give an example. Um, there are actually CQC moves missing um, from this game that were in MGS4. The amount of CQC stuff you could do in that game, I didn't even know. I watched a video of it earlier, actually. And... Um, yeah, I didn't even know some of the stuff that you could do. And that stuff is gone from here. Other things that are missing from this game are things like the stealth crawl that was in MGS4. Yeah. And one that I really missed, which I think is a strange omission, um, considering the open nature of this game, is MGS4 had that really cool move where you could kind of half lean over edges. And yeah. it means you could get like a shot on people right below you. I really missed that move. And instead I was left at edges fumbling trying to get the right angle because that move didn't exist anymore um other baffling things about the controls are when you're crawling and you have to go up a ledge and um the game forces you to stand oh no so when you're when you're when you're prone and you have to go up a ledge and the game forces you to crawl or stand to get up the ledge but it doesn't it does it automatically so quite a few times i was caught because I was coming towards a ledge and the game forced me to stand up and it's hard to judge when a slope or a ledge is going to be too much for Snake to yeah. get up or not. Um, that They're just little annoying things. Um, I think when when you're playing... So so I, like you, the second time I played this, I had my expectation, expectations adjusted. I came in thinking, well, this is not the MGS that I'm used to. This is something different. And I came in and I was really getting into it for a while. Um, probably, I would say that that lasted all the way through the, the majority of Act 1. And I was enjoying it and I was enjoying the gameplay. Um, but it definitely fell off, um, as I said before, in Act 2. So it is fun. It really is fun. Um, but I just think those things are worth noting that they are there and... I think streamlining a game, it, it always comes with a caveat. 
um, you kind of lose a bit of something, but you do make it more appealing and accessible to, to more people. So uh, it's not necessarily a criticism, but it's a note more than anything. But yeah, it is fun and there's lots of good stuff that you can do, which leads us nicely onto your favourite move in this game. I really like using the cardboard, but there's a lot that you can do with the cardboard box in this game. You know, you can put posters on it so that it distracts guards. You can dive in and out of it. You can, you know, pop out of it and hold a guard up. There's a load of stuff you can do with a cardboard box. But one of the most thing, most fun things, in my opinion, is if you're wearing the cardboard box, box and you start sprinting towards a hill to go down and you do the, the dive forward, then you will just, like, basically use the cardboard box as a slide to um to, to get that did you ever do that no i didn't but i've seen i've seen people do it that's fun um and i mean one, one of my other favorite moves is just um holding guards up and, and extracting them if, if 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 they're worth the extraction if their skill points are you know what i'm looking for but extraction and then using the box as a little slide i guess what about you one of the things that I always remembered from the first time I played and I thought was really cool. So obviously one of the big additions here is the buddy system. Yeah. And the first buddy that you get is D-Horse. And I love, it's not riding the horse, but it's the fact that you can um, sort of, I've, I've called it on my on my notes, horse hiding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can sort of kind of go prone and hang off the side of the horse to dodge. Um, the enemy's line of sight and you can also do that in some trucks as well you can duck your head down and that's the detail that I love in MGS things like that that you wouldn't even think to be in a game but it's here um, I love stuff like that and, and it, it, it's charming it's quirky um, so yeah that's probably my favourite it's just that those little touches um, that you get in the game I think another thing worth mentioning about the gameplay it definitely is very open, and you can uh, you can um, you can do things from whatever angle you please. My gameplay loop for the majority of the game, um, and I think this was echoed by a lot of people, was the Trank Fulton um, <laughs> sort of routine where you you go in with a Trank gun or a Trank sniper rifle, and you um, put people to sleep. And you fought on them. It's actually really satisfying. But at the same time, because it's so easy to do, it's almost like a deterrent to experimenting with the game. And as you said, there's a lot to experiment with here. There is this um, emergent gameplay that it's got. But because the game is almost too easy, you don't, you're never really encouraged to do that. Um, and the, th the thing yeah. is, as well, you, you've got other elements that you can use as well, like. Um... You can use the helicopter to do bombardment. So if you're approaching yeah. a, like a village or something, and there's a few guards that you can't see, you can just call in a helicopter strike to drop sleeping gas on top, or to do an actual missile bombardment to take out the enemies, which is a really cool aspect because you know you can't do that in in other MGS games. But no. again, it, it's I, I used that once, and it was when I was taking out a load of the skulls. Um, yeah, same. I, that was when I used my bombardments. Yeah. Um, I, I, I use sleep on them. and I. But I then that says something, doesn't it, though? Because the challenge of the skulls, it, it does increase in challenge there, and therefore you have to change your strategy. Yeah, and Whereas... I mean, even when you, uh, when you fight quiet for the first time towards the start of the game, if you're no good with the sniper or your sniper isn't very good, um, you can just um, you can either get a bombardment on quiet or you can e even ask for equipment to be delivered in like a little box 
and you put the coordinates over her and the box will drop on her head and it will stun her. And <laughs> the the guards also learn the way that you play in this game. So if you're someone that takes it slow and does a lot of headshots, as you progress through the game, you'll find that the guards start wearing helmets um, or they'll start wearing body armor or full um, like juggernaut armor to basically push you to play in a different way, which I think is quite cool. I think those few missions with with the skulls with quiet as you say, they do encourage you to come out of your comfort zone with the gameplay, and I think they're better for it in a way, um, because it. I still think even when the guards gain armor and stuff, if you've got quiet with you, she'll just shoot their helmet off with the first hit. Oh yeah, and then she'll just trank them in and take them out with the second hit. Um, yeah, well, it's you know there there are very different ways to take out different enemies, and the skull unit. Um, are a massive pain in the ass. Um, you know, like I I never got on board with the skulls. Like every game has their their unit. So MGS one has Foxhound. MGS two has um, what were they called? Uh, um, Dead Cell. Um, MGS three's got the um, <laughs> Cobra remember. unit. Yeah, the Cobras. MGS four's got the um, Beauty, Beauty and, and the Beast. Beast, and then MGS five has the Cobras. Uh, not the cobra, sorry, the, the the skulls, and the skulls are just nothing. Yeah, they're just irritating, and like whenever you have to fight them, it just isn't fun. Like there's nothing yeah. fun about the skulls. They're just irritating and annoying and really creepy. And yeah, I just didn't like the skull unit at all in this game. Um, and you know there are a few times where you have to go head to head with them and take them out with with brute force. And something of note is, um, is it Metallic Archaea, the mission name? Where Yeah, that's you, the one in the airport, isn't it? Uh, no, I'm thinking of a different one. Or, or is it the airport? Um, where you're, you're, you're extracting Code Talker, your helicopter yeah, gets yeah. like shot down, and then yeah, the, the mission ends, and then you're back in the helicopter on the main menu, and then you go back into the mission, and this then... This is to be continued. Yeah, like it's just stuff like that that really drags to be it continued down. in three seconds yeah it's just it's just silly um but yeah the skulls I so there are uh, within act two there are a couple of um uh elements that also force you to change your um approach there's the perfect stealth one which doesn't really force you to change your approach in fact that's where your sort of cycle of tranking and fortuning works best um, there's the subsistence ones where you have to gather um, your items on the ground. Now, they're good, um, and they force me to change my gameplay. And there's one more. Um, is it the extreme difficulty ones? I think that it's those, those ones. And um, again, you can still use your trank and fortune approach with those. So, yeah. Well, you've got... I, um, I, like with, with, with the extreme ones, it's primarily missions that are quite tough before so like boss battles i.e when you're face to face with the skulls or yeah. the fight with sahelanthropus which is pretty difficult on normal difficulty but then going to extreme it does like sahelanthropus which is this game's metal gear which is absolutely massive and when you compare it to yeah. metal gear rex which is apparently supposed to be like the cutting it's got edge the most of advanced metal gear yeah uh, very early in the and, series i mean Metal Gear Solid 1 is supposed to take place, I think, in 2005. And this game takes place in 1984. 
and you've got Sahelanthropus, which is absolutely monster. And I'd, I'd, I don't know, it, it, things going backwards. Um, but yeah, the, the fight with Sahelanthropus, there are a few moves that it's got where it can just like absolutely nail you in one hit. It's got a one hit kill. Yeah. And because it's so big, it's very hard to, to hide from as well. Um, and as well as that, if you're not using the bandana because it's your first time playing or whatever, you have to keep um, getting. That's air. what I was doing. Yeah, you have to keep getting air deliveries of, of, of fresh equipment, which you know you have to go into the menu and yeah, it's it's it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, and then, oh yeah, the man on fire pretty... as well. I, we've not really spoken about that either. Yeah, so the man on fire is is Volgin on fire. <laughs> yeah, and he can only uh, be defeated by water because he is quite literally on fire. And he's probably, even though it's an understated boss battle, he's probably the best boss battle in the game. Mm, yeah. Which doesn't say much. No. Did you use the water pistol? <laughs> no, I haven't, but I, did, I, I think I bought it in the end. But And that, that's another gripe of mine. So you, you, you develop weapons... Um, but you have like a cooldown period before you can unlock them. But the cooldown periods are sometimes hours. So you're waiting two hours before you can unlock that level four trank gun that you need. Um, and that's not just like hours just... where you turn the game off. That's hours of gameplay. Yeah, that's gameplay time. Um, and if, and if, just... if you're just like not doing anything, then you're wasting money on Mother Base because your resources are always being used. So... It just feels like there's a lot of padding and bloat here. I think we've given quite a good picture of the gameplay. Um, it's strengths, and it really does have some good strengths. Big time. Um, and it's drawbacks. The things that probably should have been ironed out during the development cycle. But anyway. Um, okay. I want to talk about the open world. Um, so... what Do you think... I've got on my list um, the open world pros and cons. So do you think it was worth going open world? Not really. I mean, 2015, it was around the time, like 2012 to 20, probably 18, was the period where game designers and game devs were really pushing open worlds. You know, like Assassin's Creed's always been open world, but you had things coming out like um, Unity, where they did an open world of Paris. You had the Mad Max game, which was an open world. You had, um, I'm trying to think of some other games that were very open world from that period of time. The Witcher 3 came out 2015. Yeah, no. The Witcher 3. Um, I'm just looking at my game collection Bloodborne now. came out 2014. Bloodborne. That's, I mean, it's, it's a bit different, but it's, it's, still, it's still sort of an open world game. Yeah, and you, you've got games like Mafia 2, uh, sorry, Mafia 3. Um uh, what else can I think of? Basically, every game was was doing the open world thing. Ghost Recon, um, you know, everything was open world, and I think that Konami pushed Kojima to be like, "Hey, these games seem to be doing pretty well." And you know, obviously, GTA Five came out in two thousand thirteen and became the biggest selling game of all time, and that's obviously always been open world. But there's something to be said about making an open world game. And making a good open world game because an open world is only as good as the content within it and whilst 
MGS5 has a lot of areas where there is a load of really good content and areas that you can have a load of fun. There are also areas that are just dead. Like there's nothing going on there. And they tried to combat this by adding in the side ops, but the side ops are just um, the same. Yeah, they're all the same. Okay, so go back out into the field and extract this soldier from Mother Base from nine years ago that's just been wandering around for nine years. Yeah. Or go out and clear the mines or go out and take out this tank unit. And do that ten times. There are ten missions where you have to rescue that sold those those soldiers from the previous mother base. Yeah, it's and you and you if you want to get the puzz side story, you have to do those missions. It's just it's just padding and it's unnecessary. And one thing that I am glad that they did, um, it isn't really to do with the open world, but at the end of the story you lose quiet. She she goes off into the desert to save Snake or some rubbish. Um <laughs> And you, you can't use her as a buddy from that point on unless you already have the knowledge beforehand to not let her go out with a certain uh, setup or whatever. But I found out on this time round that if you complete her mission um, at the start of the game, replay the mission cloaked in silence, I think it's eight times and you trank her every time and don't kill her, then you get the option to, to get her back, which I'm glad that I did. How long did that take out of curiosity? To do the mission again like seven or eight times eight times not yeah. long um it probably took me about an hour um but bear in mind i had the stealth suit so right. she couldn't see me and she was going to the same places every time so it wasn't difficult but that is quite a difficult fight if you don't have the stealth camo so yeah <laughs> I, I i don't know i'm glad that they featured it because up until that point i've been using d-dog for everything and d-dog's Really I like D-Dog. I started using him in the back half and actually I preferred him because he suited my stealthy approach more. Yeah, because he can sniff out enemies and where they are and, you know, you Whereas, can get to stun people. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, I think the open world... I was going to ask a question of the week about this, but I wanted to cover it separately because I, I couldn't think of the right question of the week, but I just wanted to explore it. Um... I think the open world is is the thing that irks me the most about this game, out of everything. Um, I would be really interested to see... I've said before, I think two of the finest parts of any MGS uh, game are Act 1 and 2 of MGS 4, where you have that great gameplay in these semi-sort of free, enclosed, open settings, if you get what I mean. Um... And I think they're great. And I would have loved to have seen the gameplay here transported to settings like that, which are uh, encourage you to you can you can you can approach those settings however you want, um, in the same way that you can MGS five. Um, well, if if you think about it, I mean it's different for different people, but I think the two best missions in this game are the prologue in the hospital. And yeah, the mission great, where you go into the quarantine zone and mother base to to, to kill your your soldiers, yeah, and that's good as well. Those are the two most linear levels in the game, and yep. I, th- I think there's something to be said for that. But you know, I don't think it's to do with their linearity. I, I I think, but because they're linear, more attention was paid on them. Yeah, to be specifically exactly. good in specific ways. Like this person is going to go into exactly. this section and trigger this, so it has to be good. Yep. Whereas the rest of it is very much like, yeah, do what you want. 
and that's what this game is missing. It's missing more of those elements of linearity. What I've put on my scripts. notes is it's missing the carefully crafted environments. So mm. although within MGS4, um, those areas in Act 1 and 2 were broader than the typical MGS area, but they, they still had all that detail in there. Yeah. They still had those. One of the things that I did when I played MGS4 this time was I really went out of my way to do different stuff and... I was shocked by the the amount of stuff within those environments that I wasn't aware of, and I would I would have loved to have seen that sort of gameplay um, within MGS Five. Those curated environments um, with the gameplay that it has already, and I just that that's my biggest issue with it. And what I think you mentioned before, you've got um, you've got Afghanistan and you've got Central Africa, and what it lacks is environmental progression um so afghanistan you spend probably half the game in afghanistan and it's all browns and it's all it all looks very similar and then you spend the other half of the game in central africa africa which although i prefer it is still very much drab all looks the same um so what you lack is moving from one area to the next what you lack is moving from um Act 1 in MGS4 um, in the Middle East to moving to Act 2, which is in South America, which feels completely different. Yeah. And then moving to Europe and then moving moving to Shadow Moses. You you lack those the variety and, and the freshness of a new area because you're just constantly going back to the same two areas well, that feel the same throughout. I mean, it goes to show as well that they knew that the, the more scripted areas were the best because if you... If you think about it, the very last mission that brings everything... Well, the very last story mission that brings everything full circle is a repeat of episode one in the hospital, complete with the tutorial prompts and telling you (laughs) what to do. But the only difference is... Oh, it's so bad. This time, the only difference with it is, at the end of the mission, there's a slightly different cutscene where Ocelot goes to the real big boss... And he's like, okay, well, this this guy's your shadow now, so you go off and, and do what you need to do. Go and make out to heaven while this guy takes the fall for you and is is the, the big boss that everyone else sees while you're doing your stuff in the shadows. And, you know, if, if they were confident with stuff, they could have made that last mission anything that they wanted, but instead they were just like, all right, we're just, we're literally going to copy the first mission and, and we're not even going to take out the tutorial prompts from it. It's like, well, they do that throughout Act Two, where you you see the same cutscenes that you've already seen hours earlier. You see them again, and you think, "Well, I've I've done this before. At least present it to me as a more challenging version. Don't give me the same unskippable, or well, not unskippable, but yeah, may as well be cutscenes." And the the thing is, they do some really clever stuff with the the wrap up of the game. Like the wrap up isn't to everyone's taste. I think it's quite clever. Um, and, you know, it wasn't something that I noticed when I played it, but it, it wasn't until I watched, you know, videos on it. And I, I told you to watch the Super Bunny Hop video um, yeah. where at the, the end of the passing. game. Yeah. At the end of the game, it goes into the same uh, room on Mother Base as it did at the start of the game, which is a bathroom full of guns. And I think the, the, the subtitle is another day in a war that never ends or something like that. And you see Venom Snake come in. And in the background of the mirror, you see on the sign of the door, it says Diamond Dogs, which is the name of, you know, your your militia. 
And then Venom Snake punches the glass when he finds out that he isn't really the big boss. And the the symbol on the door in the background has changed to Outer Heaven. And that is time passing by, by 10 years, showing you that Venom Snake's true descent into becoming a villain, which is what Big Boss is known to do, will come in time. And whether or not you've been that bad snake throughout your playthrough and killed everyone, or whether you've played it slowly, it doesn't matter what you do, because within those 10 years, he will descend into madness and he will become the villain. And at, at the end... But there's passes. no indication as to why that happens. And it's, no. It, it, it annoys me. No. And right at the end he presses play on a tape um, and I think one side of the tape is called The Man Who Sold the World because this game is a huge homage to, to David Bowie uh, Diamond yeah. Dogs uh, The Man Who Sold the World Doppelgangers that's a whole David Bowie thing uh, and he turns the tape over and it says um, Operation Intrude N1131 or something like that which is the name of the operation that Big Boss gives to Solid Snake at the start of Metal Gear 1, um, which takes place in 1995, I think, which is the original Metal Gear game, um, which obviously brings it full circle. But, yeah, th there's a lot of clever stuff at the end of this game that I, I thought was really cool. And you obviously know throughout the game that there's something up. You're, you're not, you know, Big Boss isn't his normal self. And a lot of people worked it out way ahead of time, you know, with all of the Bowie references uh, and, you know, the song The Man Who Stole the World is about a doppelganger uh, and, you know, David Bowie often goes into conversation about how he felt he was living a duplicitous life um, when, he was, when he was Ziggy Stardust. So a lot of people already knew ahead of time that actually, no, you're probably not Snake. This is probably a doppelganger. And even from the the start of the game where people realize oh ishmael right next to me in that hospital bed has the same voice actor it's Kiefer sutherland so <laughs> yeah. what's going on there and i mean i'm not the i'm not the sharpest crayon in the in the box i i, I was i wasn't surprised that you didn't you weren't playing as as big boss at the start but like when i found out i was like oh okay i wasn't really expecting that so there are elements of this game that are really clever and it shows the the sparks of greatness that Kojima always had with the Metal Gear series. But yeah, it, it isn't enough to save this game, I don't think. So another thing that I feel is um, it misses is you've got the openness and you've got the fact that you've got these bases and you can approach them quite literally in any way you want. Yeah. Usually the best way is from the side or the back. And... You've got these guards whose patrol routines vary all the time and then the guards will change at sunset and sunrise and um, there are different variables, there are sandstorms and, and that's great. All that stuff is great. But it misses something of the older games in that each of the areas that I mentioned were carefully crafted um, and had um, guards on set patrols um, felt like a small self-contained puzzle yeah. to solve like how do you get past these guards how do you get around them now the one the example i'm going to give is um the rope bridge from mgs3 yeah um and you've got that great cutscene at the beginning where snake glances up at the beehive yeah and 
you've got the bridge and you've got three or four guards there and you can do various things at that point you can use you can shoot the beehive and all the enemies flee the area you can take all the enemies out violently if you want to you can shoot you can the ropes take all on the, the bridge yeah you can take all the enemies out stealthily if you want to you can try and get past unseen which is perfectly possible with the camouflage system you can shoot the ropes out on the bridge you can hang over the side of the bridge um so that single area is its own self-contained puzzle and the games all of the older games just do it over and over again with these curated areas and there are always some that are more memorable than others but if you told me or you asked me to remember a memorable thing like that from mgs5 i couldn't do it i just couldn't do it um and I think, generally speaking, the game has a lack of distinct places. We were talking, we were talking a lot when, when playing through this game, and there's one mission which is not the mission where you kill the people on Mother Base, um, but there's another mission where another group infiltrates Mother Base and you have to take them out. And I just I described the mission to you, and you said to me that you didn't remember it. And and I thought afterwards, it's a big indictment of a game that you played not that long ago that you just completely blank commission but then now that i've completed the game i'm not going to remember these missions a lot of them i'm just going to forget them the, the ones i'm going to remember are the skulls um sniper uh, the sniper battle um the hospital and the, the ones that you mentioned basically yeah and uh, the, the the thing is as well that there's a load of other elements of this game that should be memorable because they're part of the metal gear law like finding um, Liquid Snake. What's his name in this game? I can't remember. Eli. Eli, yeah. It, it, it's Liquid Snake and, you know, the whole subplot of the child soldiers and, and Eli being on Mother Base and trying to fight Big Boss whenever he possibly can. And you, you, you obviously know who he is and who his brother is, which is obviously Solid Snake, and, and where their story ends up. And then, you know... Liquid Snake and the Child Soldiers just steal Sahalanthropus and then nothing ever gets concluded <laughs> with that, which was going to be Act 3. And you, you can yeah. watch the, the the unfinished clips of that. But there's just so much in this game that is just... It feels unfinished. And, you know, there's a lot of argument whether or not it is or whether it isn't. But it just... I don't know. It just doesn't feel complete. And the last thing I want to mention about the open world is the fast travel system. Um, what are your thoughts about this fast travel system? Uh, with the with the boxes, with the the invoices. Oh, there's that, but there's also the, the main one, which is the helicopters. Well, the, I mean, the, the helicopters are... The, 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 you say it's a fast travel system, but it, it isn't really. It's, it's a slow travel system. Yeah, it's faster than actually travelling yourself if you don't have a vehicle or a horse. And even then, it's probably well, no, a bit I did do that, that many times because I couldn't be bothered to call in a helicopter yeah, so I'd just but, sprint across the map. Yeah, to put, call in a helicopter, it would take maybe a minute, a minute and a half to get to you. You then have to get into it. It then has to take off and then... Watch the unskippable cutscene, which is unskippable, I think. Yeah, and then go back to you know, being in the air and then you choose where you want to land next. And the whole process probably takes about three three and a half minutes maybe and I'd, uh, I, I don't know like it isn't a fast one travel of the videos system. i saw that set, was talking about the fast travel system 
and they it might have been super bunny hop and they, they were talking about um how long they spent playing the game and they calculated that they spent it might have been total biscuit um but it, they calculated that they spent i think it's writing on games or maybe it was that yeah that three or four hours or something ridiculous like that um in 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 these cutscenes for uh, or in this in this process of of fast travel throughout the game throughout the missions throughout the side missions and that that's unacceptable and that's longer than some games that you spend it's just completely there's no reason for it well the the, the reason that every uh, aircraft pickup spot that there's like plants to pick up and stuff is because they knew that people would be waiting around those areas yeah. they? to give them something to do rather than just sitting around while you know this is Pequod arriving shortly at LZ uh, like it just yeah it, it makes you question how you really want to play the game because you're either going to be wasting ages to get picked up and then to go back to the main menu and then to re redeploy or you're going to be waiting ages because you're going to be traveling and it takes a long time because the maps are so big so much of my time in this game was was spent doing that but also I when I was listening to the cassettes I was just running around mother base I was doing nothing really yeah there's nothing to do with mother base really is there no and and when I look back on it so much of my time was spent trying to pass the time um yeah I, I've just got a real problem with the pacing in this game and I think I feel like the open world was detrimental to that um so that that is my biggest critique of this game the open world and how I would have preferred smaller yet still open areas that were separate from each other that could facilitate the same type of gameplay but in those carefully crafted puzzle-like environments and I wish I wish the game was that um, but yeah it's not <laughs> no and it's frustrating because there's so many good things about this game but there's so many things that drag it down as well. It's it's a really funny one to talk about. Okay, so one thing we haven't really talked about, we've alluded to the audio, but let's talk about the presentation and audio. Um, any any thoughts about that? Well, yeah, it's it's easily the best looking MGS game that's come out, I think. And you and me have spoken before that even though MGS uh, four came out in was it two thousand and eight? Um, yeah, and on the PS three, that game still holds up today. Um, yeah. but that being said this is easily the best looking Metal Gear game and I think yeah. it still stands up as possibly one of the best looking games um, that's been released the Fox engine that they use in this game is fantastic it, it looks insanely good and I, I think I said to you um, when we when we were playing I'm not as wowed by it as I was with MGS4, though. I think the, the wow factor with MGS4 was not because, oh, it still looks amazing today, which it does look really good, but the fact that it has it's held such up such a so jump well. up as well. It was such a jump in graphics back in 2008 compared to it was. what a jump in graphics uh, whereas is Whereas I do feel like a lot of modern games look of a similar level to, to 5. And that's yeah. not to say that 5 doesn't look great. It, it's just that... I feel like other people caught up. Maybe. You could say like a comparison that you can make with the the graphics in this game is um, the the Hitman games. Idos used um, some, I think it was called the Glacier Engine, and yeah. that game, that well that, that trilogy, 
looks amazing now as well. Yeah. And that's got quite a similar look to, to MGS5, I'd say. Yeah. So it does look great, though. And there are there are still some little details in there that mark it as an MGS game. And yeah, one thing I missed, one thing I liked, maybe I'm in the minority here, which is fine. Um, within the cutscenes of the older games, there was all the elaborate animation going back to MGS3 where they really nailed the animation and carried over into MGS4 and at times in Peace Walker. Um, and because there was a distinct lack of cutscenes here, um, I just missed seeing that really wonderful game animation that they had. Um, there are moments of it, there are flashes of it, but that's one thing that I missed. But generally speaking, the gameplay is animated really nicely. Instead, you get cutscenes of Snake and Quiet dancing in the rain and kicking puddles at each other on Muddle, um, on Mother Base. Or instead, you get the back of a, a truck with skull face and Snake. Yeah, that's. Do you want to describe that for us? Well, Snake and Skullface meet up, and they get in a car to go and was it to look at Sahelanthropus? <laughs> Something like they're going to a location t- together, and like Snake, yeah. isn't, Snake isn't a prisoner or anything. They 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 go on this car journey, and Skullface explains. To, he does the classic Bond villain thing of explaining his master plan, which is in regards <laughs> to the parasites, which you know have a chance of killing off half of the planet. And then, like the 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 car journey is in real time. So you're you're going to this destination. You can this, control the camera. You yeah, can... <laughs> you can control the camera, but then like Skullface just runs out of things to say, and then the the games just looks at Snake. Yeah, they they just sat in silence, staring at each other as they drive, and this goes on for about two or three minutes. And, and then there's a song that plays in the background as well. Yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's, it's trying like, to be epic, like the the ladder in uh, MGS3. Yeah, but I think it's called um, Words That Kill or something like that. Which It's is, a good song, but it just falls flat in that moment where they're just staring at each other. It's just awkward. No one's making a move. It's just really it's weird. It's very funny. Um, yeah, and that's I think that sums up this game very well. It's just got a lot of weird moments. That should have been a cutscene. Um, yeah. Yeah, but can't have uh, so many cutscenes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, and the audio. What do you think about the audio in this game? Good. the The voice acting, I think, leaves a lot to be desired. Obviously, we we mentioned earlier the difference between David Hayter. How does Kiefer Sutherland do for you? I think he, I think he does a good job. Um, you know, he isn't a bad snake. But the problem that Kiefer Sutherland had with this role is that Big Boss and Snake are David Hater and David Hater is Big Boss and Snake. That yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things like if they changed the voice actor of Homer Simpson, it just wouldn't yeah. it just wouldn't sound So much of those characters is that voice. Yeah. A hundred percent. And whenever you talk to someone who's not you know, not often a massive fan of the Metal Gear games, but they've played a game before You'll talk to them and be like, ah, oh, uh, Metal Gear. You know, they'll they'll do the voice because everyone knows the voice, and it's David Hater, and and he he made that role his own. And I think that the Metal Gear games are as much attached to David Hater as they are anything else. And like I say, that's the problem with Keith Sutherland in this role that he isn't David Hater, but that doesn't mean that he does a bad job. Obviously. Like we said, he's a bit of a silent protagonist. He doesn't have that much to say, to be honest with you. 
Um, but he just sounds like Keith Sutherland. He doesn't sound like Snake. At first, I think initially he sounds like he's putting on a, a Snake voice. Certainly in Ground Zero, yeah, he sounds Ground that Zero's. way. And by the time MGS5 comes around, he just sounds bored a lot of the time to me. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. And that that's, that's the case with a majority of the voice acting in this <laughs> All game. of them? Yeah, like Troy Baker, again, I think they got Troy Baker in because Troy Baker was voicing every game character that was around at that time. So like, oh, let's get Troy Baker in to voice Ocelot, who, you know, like we said, is probably one of the most bombastic characters in this series just now like you say just sounds like a man of reason to occasionally give radio updates about some rubbish you've got cars who sounds exactly the same as troy baker i don't know who voices him um and you've got some weird british kid doing the voice of liquid snake which isn't you know doesn't do a bad job no um and yeah you know you've got huey emmerich who is voiced by talker he put me to sleep yeah, Code Talker's dull. You've got... Um, Huey was great. Yeah, uh, Huey... Again, well, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, you know, they, they got... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Christopher Randolph back to yeah. voice him. So it's the same voice. It might have been his finest hour in this. Yeah, it's the same voice that does Otacon in MGS 1, 2, uh, for Peace Walker. And, you know, it's, it's the same voice actor. Um, and, you know, there's a load of memes that have come from this game of, you know... Uh, Skullface when they're bringing Sahelanthropus out and Skullface is getting dragged away and he says something like, oh, what a lust for revenge and then he's trying to work out who's done something to him and he just goes, <laughs> it's just become a meme and then you've got the, the whole thing they in. played us like a damn fiddle yeah, Ground Zeroes with, with Cass saying they played us like a fiddle it's a very memeable game um I feel like the writing here is worse than other game, are the other games. Yeah, the, the writing's bad, and it's probably the case that the voice acting isn't bad. They're just doing the best with what they've got. They care with what they've got, yeah. And, again, like we said, that you've got the, the first mission being incredibly scripted and detailed, which works well. There's something else that we haven't mentioned as well is the fact that Psycho Mantis is in this game, and rea- really, <laughs> he's actually and, and the main villain of the of, entire yeah, game. yeah. yeah. Um, which goes to oh show how God. weird this game is that we've said, oh, well, you know, the main villain is Skullface and he dies halfway throughout one. But then realistically, Psycho Mantis, as a little boy, is in this game and is the main villain for no reason. He's just there. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but the music's good. The soundscapes are good. The voice acting is all right. Um, again, it's just a, down to the writing, I think. Yeah, there's some really nice sound cues in there, as the MGS series has always done. Mm. Um, really satisfying sound cues. I think a lot of games miss that. Just the sound when you pick things up, or when it's like the um, like the chest in Zelda when you open up chests. Yeah, they've got lots of them in MGS games, and they're all really satisfying. Um, it, uh, yeah, I think it's such an under um, discussed thing in games, mm. and I think that's a uh, it, it does it really well here, as in every other MGS game. Okay, on to our question of the week, finally. Um, if you're still with us, hopefully you've enjoyed it. Um, this is going to be a bit different now, so we're going to talk about a different aspect of the game. So, as you probably know, as many people who are aware of MGS5 know, um, the way this game was reviewed 
it was reviewed in sort of boot camps where people went away, they stayed at a fancy hotel and they were under very tight time constraints and they had to play the game under intense Four sort or five of pressure. hours, wasn't it? Yeah, and then they had to review the game. And this got me thinking about the way that reviews are carried out. And I certainly think it plays into the way that MGS5 was received and why there is a bit of a divide and why some people say this is the best thing in the world and some people say this is just not not that great. Um, so what what do you think is the ideal way to review score games? Is to not put pressure on the people and to... I mean, you can have a review embargo, um, but and it works both ways as well. If you think of... I think it was Doom 2016... Um, Bethesda had a complete embargo on that game and said no, no one's allowed to release any reviews. And then it was it. good, and it was fantastic, and everyone was expecting it to be awful because obviously, um, uh, Bethesda said no reviews. Um, and personally, I think if you want to give media outlets a copy like a week, week or two before, I think that's absolutely fine. And if you want to put an embargo on it saying you're not allowed to release your reviews until a day before the game's release, I think that's absolutely fine as well. But Obviously, the the review style of this game worked for Konami because you had boot camps of four to five hours where people had to smash through. They did the first mission and they got a bit of a, a taste of the open world, maybe did a few missions, and then that was it. So obviously from that, you're going to think, wow, this is amazing. This is such growth for Metal I think Gear. They, I think they got a bit longer than that, but yeah, I think the point still stands. Yeah, they, they were just trying to rush through it and get through as, as much as possible, so... And it's what No Cube said. If because he he released his video on it a day or so before the reviews came out, and he goes, and if the reviews say it's ten out of ten, that's absolute rubbish. He goes, this game is a very good seven out of ten, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think with with reviews, you've just got to allow the people to to enjoy your well, review your work, critique your work, and process it without putting strain on them it's it's you know it's the comparison of when you and me were acting if we invited a reviewer for a, a paper to come and watch it and then afterwards we were like okay so we're gonna we're gonna make sure that we like what you say it's it's rubbish and you know sometimes it doesn't go the way of games being good with aliens colonial marines being an absolute shower um but i i think if if you want a good and fair process you've just got to let the the people take your game in at their own pace give them access to it a week or two beforehand fine give them an embargo to like a day before the game but give them the time to actually play it properly rather than rush them or rather than stand over their shoulder and ensure that you know you get the the score you want and this is typical of konami at that time you know, 2015, 2016, 2017, Konami was considered absolute scum in the in the the gaming sphere. Um, you know, they they banned Kojima from attending the Game of the Year awards, and and Jeff Keighley called them out on stage. I remember, and everything that they were doing was from a monetary point of view, and Konami Konami were considered quite you know big and bad at the time. You don't really hear much of them anymore. 
Um, I think they've started to make some more positive moves, which is good. Yeah, and you, but, you know, yeah. you always hear whispers and rustlings of a, of a remake of MGS3, which I think a lot of people would welcome with the Fox engine. Um, and there's always been those clips, you know, flying around from the pachinko machines of what it would look like with um, with updated graphics. But yeah, that's my answer on how I think it's best to review games. What would you say? Yeah. I think reviewing is a vicious cycle and I think because of I think doing the list and it's funny because the Metacritic list sometimes we refer to it as people saying that these are the best games of all time but actually what people are doing when they review the game is they're giving it a score and uh, the, the average of those scores places it on this list it's not one person saying well we're going to put this on the on the list as one of the best of all time it's it's people saying well this game deserves this score and what is the average of that and i think reviews in general um the vicious cycle aspect is people race to get reviews out because the fact is the most traffic um in terms of that game is going to be within the say initial uh, within the lead up to the game and the initial couple of weeks um of the game's launch yeah i remember we did something similar with um with the last of us 2 um we we played it, but I would say that we didn't we, we didn't, didn't rush. really rush ourselves. Um, we tried to get it out so, as close to the release as possible, didn't we? So we came out maybe two or three weeks after it had released, and because of the the game that it was and 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 the discussions around that game, um, it was still a very relevant um, time to release it. But and because of that, what it's our find... most listened to episode um, to date compared to yeah and i think we made some good points in 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 that video we were talking about it recently um but i think this this thing of racing to review and then you usually get the caveat with the review nowadays which says this person played this many hours of the game they dabbled with the multiplayer um and sometimes you get this person did not finish this game or this is a huge game and this person got 70 percent of the way through um I just think the whole thing of reviews is flawed. And if you want, uh, surely the aim of a review is to give an honest opinion. That's what it is. It's an opinion. It's not It's not um, an appraisal. It's an opinion from your standpoint of what the game is. But in order for you to do that, I think you've got to take all pressure out of the picture. And what you're left with is your thoughts and the product. And... Um, I think the current way of reviewing doesn't work. What we've recently seen is moving away from traditional scoring as well, which actually I think is a good idea. Um, so historically, obviously, you, you might have um, A to E as your scores, or you might have 1 to 10, um, which is the more commonly used one. And, oh, this game's a 10, this game's a 9, an 8, so on. Um, I think we, we may have even mentioned it in a couple of, a couple of episodes, but... What defines a game being an 8 or a 9 or a 10? Um, what wording do you use to describe that game? And nowadays you're seeing more um, journalists moving away from that. Well, Eurogamer uses recommended or essential and that's it. It's not surprising um, though, got... is it? Because you use Jim Sterling for, for an example. When they reviewed Breath of the Wild, it was the case that... They received huge, huge backlash and death threats because they didn't give it a 10 out of 10. 
is so common um, among the gaming sphere as well. Um, when a big game is coming out, there's a lot of hype. It's such a common thing. If you ever go on Reset Era, <laughs> it's ridiculous the conversations that people have about games. If a review comes out um, and says something negative about a game, they just dump on it. And there are a few mixed reviews about MGS5. And if you go into the comments on those reviews, you'll get some people agreeing and you'll get a lot of people saying, well, this is clickbait. This is not true. Um, burn your house down. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very, I mean, gaming can be toxic anyway. And As we saw from The Last of Us Part 2. Yeah. And I think the way that we rate games doesn't doesn't work and other people have taken away even words to describe games so actually if you want to see whether the game is good or not you have to read the description um but so many people it's said when they read a review will just rush down to the end see the score and maybe uh, go back through and read it maybe not maybe just go away and say oh it's a nine therefore i'm going to get it um so i think this is one of the most telling ones in terms of the way uh, reviews are done and it brings us very nicely actually onto does this game deserve to be on the list so i'm gonna i'm gonna open that question to you i don't think so as a whole package if this game was anything else with the gameplay and with the story i might say yes because you know like we say this is a, a massively open game that you can do so much with and I don't think I've seen a game like this since, um, or, or if there is one, it isn't really in my in my in my uh, in my eye line, I guess. Um, but because it's a Metal Gear Solid game, and because there are expectations with that, and you compare it to all other four games from this series on the list, this is probably the one that I would say deserves to be here the least just because it doesn't feel like a Metal Gear Solid game. And I feel that a lot of the reviews on this one are because they were forced out early. And I think that if the reviewers had the opportunity to play the game all the way through and, and digest it, it probably wouldn't be on this list. Or if it was, it would be a lot, lot lower. Um, but for me, gameplay, yes. Story, no. And because the story brings it down, I'd say it doesn't deserve to be here. Um, what what would you say? There was um there was the video that I watched, and I know you've watched as well. Writing on games, um, he reviewed the game when it came out, and he gave it glowing praise. And then he went back, um, which is not really the done thing. He went back a good few years later and re-reviewed the game. And he said of his original review that due to the way that he consumed the game, which was not unlike the way that the reviewers had consumed the game at the boot camps, um, he gave this glowing review. And actually, once he really assessed the game, he didn't feel like it did deserve that praise. Um, I, I do think there's some good stuff in here and I know that my, my slants with this game has been, been negative. I also think there's a hell of a lot wrong with this game. I think the stuff that it does well, it does very well. But I have fundamental issues with this game that stop it from being 
one of my favorite games or in my opinion one of the best games of all time like i said the biggest of those is the open world and how i just think it it detracts from the good stuff that is in the game um i think the biggest indictment of this game is that i came away and i didn't hate it i really didn't hate this game um maybe if this game had finished after act one i'd have i'd have a much more positive slant towards the game um i didn't love it either i actually came away feeling indifferent and as i said putting this list together and this being one of the longest episodes that we've done in a very long time um it took a long time for me to get those thoughts onto paper and to to even I didn't even want to. I didn't even want to even think about this game once I finished it. I was just burnt out. I was really burnt out on this game. And um, now I just feel indifferent. I feel like I don't think I'm ever going to go back and play it in the same way again. Um, if this game had been a larger scale version of Ground Zeroes, this could be a very different conversation. I feel like Camp Omega and that enclosed sort of setting, um, which still featured the open gameplay, would have lent itself to a better game. I don't think this game deserves to be here. Um, it's not to say that the critics got it wrong necessarily. I, I think there are caveats to their reviews, but I, I, for me, something about this game just doesn't... It's good. It's not... The best game ever it's not even close to that for me um i've just recently played sniper elite 5 i've completed it a couple of days ago i had more fun in my with my time with that than than with um mgs5 and i don't think that's one of the best games ever either funnily enough so yeah i, I don't really have much more to say to conclude from, from my perspective that that's that's it that's how I, I don't feel very emotional about this game there are things that annoy me as, as I've gone through. Um, yeah, I'm going to stop rambling now. We said at the start of this game, it's a difficult one to talk about because, I, I, I don't know, there's just something that feels off with it, I think. And because of that, it makes it difficult to to discuss for, you know, big fans of, of the Metal Gear series. And like we say, some people absolutely love this game, and I know a few people that do themselves. And some people just some people hate it, which I think I used to really dislike it. But now, same as you, I'm just very apathetic to it. I I, I don't really have thoughts this way or that, which is weird. And we are coming at the series from being big MGS fans, and from what I've seen. The bigger MGS fans tend to dislike to get the game more than people that have tried it for the first time. There are so many people that say this was their first MGS game and they loved it. So we do have that baggage. Sometimes we come in and we say, um, we, we've got no experience with the game, therefore we're not the person to talk about it. In a way, we are the people to talk about this game, but at the same time, our experience is never going to align with someone that's never played this game before. We've got all that baggage of a history with the series mm. and it means that in a way i don't want to say that we can't be objective but you can't you can't take that out of the equation when you're looking at this game no it's uh, yeah I, I i don't know it's it's very mixed this game i think for us and i'm 
to be honest, I had a feeling that we'd probably both say that we didn't think it deserved to be here, which is a shame because we both love this series. And although, particularly for me, there's more games in this series that I dislike than like, I still love this series. Um, and, you know, it, it is depressing to see the direction that MGS has gone since this game. Because, you know, since uh, Kojima left, Konami released Metal Gear Survive, which I've not played. And I've got no interest in playing because it looks no. god-awful. Um, yeah. But, you know, they they might turn it around one day. They might make a remake of MGS1 or they might, you know, do, do that remake of MGS3. And I'd be there, I'd play it. But for the, the, the series to end on this note, for me, it just wasn't it, I guess. Um, yeah, but I'd agree with that. But yeah, with, with, with that being said, that's... That's MGS5, The Phantom Pain. Um, Includes our discussions on the MGS series after it's been a, a long ride, one through to five. Yeah, MGS2 was, uh, I think, our second or third game when we started this list. Um, so it's taken us a while to get here. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I've enjoyed going back and playing these games and realising what I love about them and what I don't love so much about them. But... Yeah, we, we, we march ever closer to the the end of our list. And we said at the start of this episode that this could be a bit of a longer one. I think, as recording now, we're at about one hour 40 or so, um, <laughs> which which echoes of uh, the earlier days of the podcast where we ramble on for an hour and a half, two hours, even two and a half Hopefully hours. Hopefully it's a bit more focused. Yeah, exactly. I think we've come on a long Hopefully. way since then where we just kind of go on about rubbish. Um but yeah, so that's that's MGS five, and as Dan says, the close off for the MGS series on this list. Um, next time we are going to a PC game. Uh, we're looking at number seventy two on the list, which is Diablo. Uh, have you started it yet? I have started it. Yeah, I have not. Um, shock. But be prepared that you have to buy it on GOG rather than Steam. Um, oh. Good. Love so that. there are a few hoops to jump through with that. It took me a while to actually get the game to, to work on my laptop. So love, love, love a game yeah. that makes me jump through hoops to play it. But I mean, it did come out in '96, so what can you expect? Yeah. Um, but yeah, as always, if you want to get in touch with us, we're on all social medias, the Long and Short Bit Podcast. We are on email at the Long and Short Bit Podcast at hotmail.com. We have set up a Discord server, but no, neither of us know how to use Discord properly. So give us a bit of time on that. We'll sort it eventually. Um, but yeah, that's the episode. Is there anything else from you? I just want to know what Mr. Blobby thought of MGSV. Ah, uh, yes, I thought Mr. Blobby would uh, make his his weekly weekly input <laughs> into this uh, this podcast somewhere. I'm sure he enjoyed it very much. Maybe you'll need to contact Noel Edmonds, perhaps. <laughs> he'll enjoy that. He'll, he'll enjoy a little email from you. Um, but yeah. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and obviously the obligatory mention of Mr. Blobby. But we'll see you <laughs> next time for Diablo. But in the meantime, take care. Cheerio. See you on the next one.